0: So, All right, we're going to start in Isaiah 9-6 today. This is a very famous uh, passage that usually gets read around Christmas, and I'm not preaching anything Christmassy today, but because it's December, I'm going to sneak it in here. All right, Isaiah 9-6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." I'm sure, you know that verse. You've heard it sung in Handel's Messiah, and you've heard it read numerous times through the years. Isaiah seven fourteen says, "The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." And Matthew, in his Gospel chapter one, explains what Emmanuel means. While Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. 1 John 3.23 says, this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. And Acts 4.12 says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name, you just sang, there is a name that reigns above all others, Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. There is no other name in which is salvation, but Jesus. And Jesus has quite a little bit to say about his name. Let's start in Matthew 18:20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He's right here in this room. Not in idea, not in metaphor, in reality. He is here. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit, which is more real than our flesh. We welcome you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. You are our King and our Lord, our Savior and our Master. Thank you for being here in the room with us. Where even two or three are gathered, you are with us and we bless your holy name. Wherever two or three are gathered, in my name. You're watching for the phrase, in his name. Next passage, also from Matthew, 18.5. Whoever receives one little child in my name, receives me. Mark 16, 17 and 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. John 14, 13 to 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Revelation 2, 3. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Luke 21, 12. They will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Revelation two thirteen, I know your works, and you hold fast to my name, and will not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you. And Matthew ten twenty two, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You notice how many times Jesus says in my name, pray in my name. Give in my name, take care of other people in my name, work for my name's sake, you will be persecuted for my name's sake, gather in my name's sake. Well, so we do that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. But Isaiah told us his name is wonderful. His name is Prince of Peace. His name is Emmanuel. so which name is he talking about? When he says, pray in my name, apparently he has lots of names. Which one is he talking about? Well, let's not make it too complicated. Let's see what the apostles did. Acts chapter 2, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's really, it really is that simple. Jesus Christ is his name. Amen. Acts chapter 3, there's a beggar at the gate of the temple, and Peter is coming in, and he's asking for money, and the beggar asks for money, and Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Peter heals him in the name of Jesus Christ. It really is that simple. I just want to point out here that the guy asks Peter for money. Peter says, I don't have any money in my pocket, but what I have, I give you. The name of Jesus is a substance that Peter carries around with him, and he can pass it out like money out of his wallet. Hello? What I do have, I give you. The name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized, the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 18, there is a girl who's demon-possessed, and she has psychic powers, and she's shouting at Paul and his friends every day as they walk by this particular place. She's a slave because some people have taken her captive to profit off of her psychic abilities through this demon. But what she's saying is true. Every day they go by, and she says, these men are servants of the Most High God. And Paul's like, what she's saying is right, but it, it annoys me. Because I know that spirit that's speaking isn't holy. But it took him a while to figure out what, what was going on, and then we get to this verse, and it says, and Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Paul uses the name of Jesus to command demons and set people free. In 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Paul is now writing a letter. He's not speaking. He's writing, and he says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. So whether the apostles were writing or speaking or preaching or baptizing or casting out demons or healing lame people, they said, In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But it is still true that Jesus has lots of names. And I want to tell you who this man is this morning. These are not going to be on the screen. But in Revelation 19, it says, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. One of Jesus' names is the Word of God. John 1-1 names him the Word of God that became flesh, God with us. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. In Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. He is eternal. Colossians 1.16 calls him the creator of all things. Revelation 2.13, he says, I am the A and the Z, The beginning and the end, the first and the last. All through the gospel of Mark, he refers to himself as the son of man. He's trying to drill home to us his humanity. I am one of you. I am completely human. He's not only human, but he is completely human. The son of man. Matthew 1 and Galatians 3 name him the son of Abraham. Matthew 1 and Romans 1 name him the son of David. The crowds call him the son of David. Blind Bartimaeus calls him the son of David. In Mark 6, apart from the Christmas story, in Mark 6 he's called the son of Mary. In Genesis 3.15 he's the seed of the woman. In Acts 2.22 he is the man approved of by God. The man approved of God. By God. And in John 19, 5, he's just called the man. Jesus is the man. He is a man. He is fully a man. Matthew 16, 16, Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 552 times he's called the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, God's chosen man. 552 times. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are names, folks. The way is a man. The truth is a person. Life is a person. John 1, 29, John the Baptist calls him the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of his names is the Lamb of God. In Revelation, he's the Lamb who was slain. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door, or the gate, gets translated different ways. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a fenced pasture, and anyone that comes over the fence illegally is a thief and a liar. If you want to come into the kingdom of heaven legitimately, he says, you have to come through the gate, and I am the gate. Jesus is the entry into the kingdom of heaven. In Aramaic, his name would have been pronounced Yeshua, All the Gospels are written in Greek. The Greek version of that name is Iesus. And Iesus in Latin became Yesu, which in English becomes Jesus. And all of it just means Savior. And every language takes its current name from Iesus in Greek. He's the Lamb of God. His name is wonderful. That that wonderful is not an adjective describing his name. That is his name. Is wonderful. His name is counselor. His name is mighty God and Prince of Peace. His name is the servant. He called himself the servant of all. He's the suffering servant from Isaiah who was beaten and torn and bruised and rejected for our sin and for our healing. He's called the carpenter and the carpenter's son. It's not an accident that his earthly stepdad was a carpenter because all through Scripture we are referred to as trees. And he is the one who takes the wood and shapes it into something beautiful and useful. He's the carpenter. All carpenters use sharp instruments on the wood, remember that. He's named the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he's named the preacher. We know that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but it doesn't say that. It says this is written by the preacher, the son of David. Well, who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who speaks Ecclesiastes. His enemies named him the friend of sinners, which they meant as an insult, but he took it as a compliment. Praise God he is a friend of sinners, because he can be my friend and yours. He's not the enemy of sinners. He is the friend of sinners. The Pharisees meant that as an insult because he hung out with drunks and gluttons and prostitutes and partiers. He didn't do what they did. He wanted them to do what he did. He's named a stranger because he's not of this world. He's called the man of sorrows. Because the Scripture says, he was well acquainted with sorrow and grief more than anyone else. No one in world history has cried more or harder than Jesus. He is the man of sorrows. The Old Testament names him a worm because he was the lowest, treated the worst. Of course, all through Scripture he's called Lord. That's more of a title maybe than a name. To Joshua, he appears as the captain of the army of the Lord. Jesus is a military commander. He's the captain of the hosts of heaven. He is the only military commander in universal history with a perfect record. He is not only the highest military commander, the most decorated general ever, he is absolutely a soldier's man who sleeps in the foxholes with his men. Amen. Amen. He is the captain of the hosts, the captain of the armies of the Lord, the commander. In the Old Testament, he's named the desire of nations. He called himself the water of life. For those who are thirsty would never thirst again when they drank from him. Revelation names him the lion of the tribe of Judah who overcame. He called himself, even though he's a lion, he's a shepherd the good shepherd. I guarantee you there's no shepherd in world history that would trust a lion to guard the sheep. But God does. As he knows that lion will not eat the sheep. He will protect them. He calls himself the good shepherd who takes care of the sheep, who searches out the little lost lambs. And one of the prophets in the Old Testament, I think it's in the Psalms, says, he gently leads those who are with young. You mamas with little kids, that's you. He gently leads those who are with young. He is the good shepherd. He is the way and the truth and the life. He's the vine, the one we must be attached to in order to be alive. If we get cut off from him, if we're separated from him, there's no life that flows from him into us and we die. He is prophet, priest, and king. Three offices in the Old Testament law that could not trespass each other. It was God's separation of powers Jesus is all three in one man. Jesus is the rock of offense. If you've served him more than three months, you've ran into that rock. He's the one who causes us to stumble, and I don't mean he makes us stumble into immorality. I mean we prayed what we prayed, and we wanted what we wanted, and he didn't do it. And either we become flexible and we submit and bow to his will, or he falls on us and we get broken. He is the rock of offense. Some of you have met that rock many times, stubbed your toe on it and had to get over it. He is the bread of life, the one who feeds us with himself, fills us with good things, and satisfies us. He is the light of the world. We stumbled about in darkness, Isaiah said, and He shines the light. And in the darkness, we see the light and we can come to truth and salvation and eternal life. And he shows us the way to God. But it's not just that because C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Jesus not only because I see him, but because by him I see anything else. By Jesus, not only do we see him, but we, we see everything. If there was no light in this room, not only would you not see light, you wouldn't see anything else either. He is the light of the world. In the Old Testament, he's named the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. He is the beautiful and fragrant flower. The New Testament calls him the chief cornerstone. When they used to build buildings out of stone, they would set one stone and get it exactly where they wanted it, and then all other stones in the entire building were measured off the outside corner of that block. We do things totally different by pouring concrete stem walls and building stud walls and stuff, but a cornerstone was they would set that stone, and then as they stacked up the bricks or the stone or the marble or the granite or whatever they were doing to build the wall, everything got measured by that stone, and God says, Jesus Christ is my chief cornerstone, and you're either straight with him or you're thrown away. You either measure up to him or you're useless. You're not in my wall. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the sure foundation. He is the anchor of the soul. He is our anchor, the one that is heavy and immovable, and we are tied to him. And yes, our emotions may storm about and our circumstances may blow us around, but as long as we're tied to him, we're not really going to crash against the rocks. We won't really drift very far at all. We may swing around on that chain a little bit, but he's always holding us fast. He is the great physician. He is the gift of God. He is the redeemer, the one who ransomed us. We were held hostage by an enemy king, and he paid for our release, the redeemer. He is the just one, the perfect one, the perfect and acceptable sacrifice, the only one who obeyed correctly, the only one who did it right. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the head of the church And he is the bridegroom. Jesus and his kingship is compared not to a dictator, but a husband who's ruling his wife in love for her good and in romance, not in dictatorship. He is the bridegroom king. He is called the lover in Song of Solomon. He is the Lord of lords and king of kings. He is the root and offspring of David. His name is the judge, and every single one of us will stand before him individually and give an account for our lives, and he will not mince words. What he approves of, he approves of very strongly, and what he disapproves of, he completely disapproves of. He's also called the advocate, which means the defense attorney, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. He stands before almighty God, the judge of heaven and earth, and he says, yes, Lord, the charges against her are correct. It's true. She really did that. And yes, the sentence is just. She deserves hell. But I'm here to tell you that that sentence has already been served, so it's legal for you to let her off. I'm not asking you to bend any rules. I'm not asking you to be unjust. I'm not asking you to be a crooked or perverse judge. We we have met the conditions of justice, so I ask for forgiveness. He is our defense attorney, our advocate. I know that many of you have heard this story before, but I have to tell it again, because there might be somebody here who hasn't, but several years ago, six or seven years ago, my dad had a dream. My dad's life for 30 years had been shaped by a man who robbed him in a business deal. This man claimed to be a Christian, and he is, but they had a falling out in a business deal on my dad's farm, and my dad lost a quarter million dollars in the 80s, which was more than it is now, for sure, and it, and it, and it stole our livelihood, and it's a long story. We, we went into years of poverty, and it ruined my dad's life in so many ways. He was full of hatred and anger. And that happened when I was maybe 8 or 10. And just 6 or 7 years ago, he had a dream where he was standing in the heavenly courtroom. God was on the throne at the judge's bench. And it was my dad and this other man. And the other man was in the defendant's chair, and my dad was in the prosecutor's chair. And my dad just told God everything this man had done, and all that it had cost him, and all of his life that he'd lost, and all the money he'd lost, and all the hard work he'd had to do, and, and the time, and the betrayal, and the lies. And dad said, Everything I said in my dream to God was true, every bit of it. And I have to say, objectively, I know that it was true to my dad. I don't know what the other man's side of the story is, but to my dad, it was true and god wouldn't let him lie god just but god just sat there and listened without interruption I said dad said i went on and on and on and on and i listed all of the things he'd done and all the consequences of those things and I, I was so angry but i got it all out and i gave i presented all the facts to god and all of a sudden i was empty and done and he said once i was done listing all the things that he had ways he'd ruined my life said I heard a noise in the back of the room and I turned in and Jesus had come in the back door of the courtroom and he walks up the aisle and through the little gate and he went and stood by the other man. And dad said I knew I'd been the biggest fool in the universe because I was accusing someone that Jesus was defending. He said because I know that when it comes my turn on my day I'll be in the defendant's seat. And there'll be a line of people over here to tell God everything I did wrong and it'll be true. God won't let lies come. The facts will come. Dad hurt me this way. This man hurt me this way. Dad said there'll be a line of people there to accuse me. And if I don't have Jesus come and stand by me in that moment, I am damned. Dropped his accusations. I cannot accuse someone that Jesus is defending. Jesus is our advocate, our defense attorney, the one who intercedes for us. He's named Faithful and True. He's named Altogether Lovely. His name is Rabbi, which means teacher. Mary in the garden after his resurrection calls him Rabboni, which is another version of that word, teacher. His name is Master. His name is Lord of the Harvest. In the Old Testament, he's called a friend who is closer than a brother. He's named the precious stone. He's the diamond of the universe. The most perfect and valuable beautiful gemstone ever. He's named the bright and morning star. He's named the sun, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness. The bright and morning star. He is the fairest of 10,000, fair in the sense of beauty, the most beautiful of the most beautiful 10,000 people God ever made. Jesus is the most beautiful. He is the name that is above every name. So when Jesus says, pray in my name, that's what he means. Well, which one of those, Mitch? Yes, all of them. When he says, gather in my name, yes. You must know him. You must know all his names. And I don't mean that as a command that you check off a list of names. I mean, you can experience him and know him by those names. You can know him as your healer. You can know him as your teacher. You can know him as your savior and your redeemer. You can know him as a friend that is closer than a brother. You must know him because he told three parables about entry into heaven where he tells people who are searching for him, I don't know you. You can't come in. The first one is Matthew 7 where the people are being told they're the goats and they have to go off to hell. And they call and say, Lord, Lord, we did miracles. We were to the meetings. We, Lord, we know you. And he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. They're calling him Lord, but Lord isn't really his name. Lord is a title of authority. It's pretty generic, really. Everyone is going to call him Lord. Every knee will bow. By force. We bow now. By faith and love. But these people, they call him Lord, but they don't know him. Jesus said, I, I don't know you because you're, you're lawless. The other one is Matthew 25 with the unwise virgins that didn't bring enough oil in their lamp. The, it's, it's tragic. They are looking for the return of Jesus. They are waiting on his return. They know he's coming back, but they didn't prepare for what it was really going to take. And so they have to run off and get more oil. And when they come back, the door to the wedding feast is locked. And not only does he not let them in, he says... I don't know you. So they knew about him. They knew some facts. They may have even believed some facts, but so do the demons. The demons know he's coming back, and they're terrified. You must know him, yourself, for real. And Luke 13 is the story where there's people knocking on the door, but it's already too late. The door's already locked. The feast has begun. And Jesus says, depart from me. I I don't know who you are. You have to know him. So do you know him this morning? You can't live off of grandma. Grandma knows Jesus. She prays for me. Well, my wife does the praying in our family. You have to know him for yourself. Do you know him? You have to know him yourself because in Acts 19, those Jewish exorcist brothers, there's seven brothers that go in and, and one of them says, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out of this man. And the demon speaks up and says, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but I don't know you, and he thrashes seven of them naked and bloody. These people pray in Jesus' name, and their prayer is not answered because they don't know who it is, the name that they're using. You must know him. When Jesus says, you pray in my name, I will do it, we must know him not just know what the name is. So when we gather, when we pray, we must be in His name. Romans 10.13 on the screen says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you understand there's a difference between um, knowing Jesus' names and calling on them for yourself? If you call on Him, you will be saved. Acts 22, 16 says, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, which name is that? Any of them. As long as it's biblically accurate, any of the names. If you need him to be your healer, call on him as healer. If you need him to be your commander, call on him as commander. If you need truth, call on him as truth. If you need him in... Peace, call on Him as Prince of Peace. If you need shepherding, call on Him as the Good Shepherd. If you need Savior, call on Him as Jesus. The word calls there means to shout, to scream out desperately. So we're going to do that right now. And just so that you're not um, awkward and shy about it, we're all going to do it at the same time. So I want you to pick one name of Jesus that you need to call on. If you need truth, you're going to shout, truth! Because that's his name. Hello? If you need commander, you're going to shout commander. If you need bridegroom, you're going to shout bridegroom. If you need shepherd, you're going to shout shepherd. Hello? What Whatever name means the most to you in this moment right now. All right? You can focus on the rest of them later. Just pick one. And we're going to shout it. We're going to call on the name of the Lord. And there may be um, 60 different names called out right here. But it's all Jesus. Amen? Everybody, kids included, everybody got a name? Picked out on the count of three, we're going to call on the name of the Lord, and He's going to answer whatever it is you're calling on Him for. Amen? Ready? Got your name picked out? Three, two, one. Jesus! Amen! Amen! He will answer. He will answer. You call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You will get what you need from Jesus Christ who is what you just called on Him for, Savior, Redeemer, Lover, Friend, Judge, Defense, Shepherd, Protector, Beauty. Amen. Amen, amen.